I'm going to be taking a reading from Romans chapter 6, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its laws. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. The last time we looked at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 5 to 11, and we talked about us being convinced of the fact, basically. And we know this fact. We go from knowing, believing, and considering or recording. We know that our old self was crucified with Christ Jesus. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. We believe in, we know the resurrection. So we believe that our whole self has been crucified with Christ. We also believe in the resurrection that Christ has been raised. And after we believe that, then we reckon this fact to ourselves. That is, we actually actualize it to our mind. We go on considering it, considering it over in our mind. We go on knowing it, go on believing it, and go on considering it as fact in our mind. Then we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now, Today we start with verse 12 to verse 14. And we see the first word that comes in there. It says, therefore, or therefore could simply mean so. So, therefore, so simply connect it to our previous verse. And someone has said before, he said, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you always ask, what is therefore? So, we ask, what is it therefore? So it's basically connecting us to the previous verse, which tells us, Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So basically, if you go and consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, these are the consequences or logical conclusions that you get. So we divided this uh, teaching into negative consequences, positive consequences, and are these consequences possible now we start with uh, the negative consequences and the first thing we notice again about the negative consequences is this it says do not let sin go on reigning in your mortal body if you do you will obey the loss of your mortal body so do not first of all the thing that we notice there is basically like a command when they say do not steal, do not uh, commit adultery, do not fornicate, do not be covetous. So when you see that do not, it denotes a command. And it's, it's they are, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul commanding us, do not let, let could simply mean allow. Just like sometimes you do not, you don't allow strangers into your home or strangers or you don't allow thieves or robbers into your home so he's saying do not allow sin to go on raining it uses the present continuous tense this is a present ongoing stuff say do not allow sin to go on raining in your mortal body so you do not allow sin be your lord in your life in your mortal body so your mortal body is basically your flesh your outward outward man this outward man that is decaying, this outward man that is going to be buried on the soil, 
while your spirit is going to live to the resurrection of the body then your body is going to live forever again so do not allow sin to be your lord do not allow it to be your master do not allow it to reign in your mortal body do not allow sin to be king in your mortal body basically that's what he's saying and the basic thing we understand basically is that our lord jesus christ told us you can't have two lords you can't have two masters you can't have two kings it's not possible for you to be a slave to two masters to be a slave to two kings if sin is the lord of your body you must obey its laws. That is inevitable. Because if you have recognized that sin is your king, sin is your lord, then you are going to obey its command. What is this command of, uh, of sin in your mother body? When sin reigns in your mother body, then you obey the laws of sin in, in your mother body that comes out from your mother body. That's what you begin to obey. But if Christ is your lord, if you recognize this, that Christ is the lord of your body, you obey his will you obey his commands for your body basically and you obey his desires basically so now how do we do this how can we actually not let sin reign in our mortal body we have to know some truths basically we have to come again to knowing that christ has been raised from the dead so if christ has been raised from the dead so sin can never cannot be your king cannot be your king it says if christ has been raised from the dead uh, paul says in first corinthians 15 say if christ has not been raised from the dead then you are still in your sins your faith is vain so basically if christ has actually been raised from the dead then you are no longer in your sins your faith is not vain so your belief is not vain so christ has actually been raised from the dead and we believe this uh, Paul says in Romans 4, it says, Christ was raised because of our justification. Are you justified? What does it mean to be justified? It means to be imputed with righteousness, to be credited with righteousness, credited with righteousness on the basis of what Christ has done. And uh, uh, Paul says again in Philippians 3, he says that, we have a righteousness that we are found in him not having a law being derived having a righteousness derived from the law but having a righteousness derived from god on the basis of faith in god on the basis of putting our faith in christ jesus we have the righteousness from god basically so that is one thing we need to understand so once you have credited righteous once you have been justified then you have made righteousness you have a righteousness from god that's a righteousness that you derive from the law just by keeping commandments. No. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So you are under Christ. Christ is your king. So sin can't be your king. It's totally impossible. It's just like uh, you. You are a slave of uh, uh, someone. There's no way you can be a slave of two masters. You must surely despise one over the other. I can't be uh, a slave of a uh, school work and be a slave of a uh, of a church work. It's not possible. One must be suffering. Either my school work is suffering, or and the church work is actually seeing my devotion, or the church work is suffering 
and the school work is actually seeing my devotion. It's not possible to be a slave to the two. You must be totally devoted to one above the other, basically. So now, it says, another truth we need to know is that he made him who knew no sin to be seen on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ is the sin, was made a sin on our behalf so that we might be, become the righteousness of God in him. We have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So it's totally impossible. It's totally incompatible with our nature for sin to be our king. Sin to be the king of our mortal bodies. This is what we call the great substitution on that cross. Christ was made sin. Sin was condemned on the cross. Now, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have to be convinced of this truth. And when you are convinced of this truth, there is no way sin can reign in your mortal bodies anymore. It's not just possible. And we notice again that we are no longer dead in our sins. Ephesians uh, 2 tells us that, that when you were formerly, Ephesians 2, 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, of this mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So you see, this is how you formerly lived, in the lust of your flesh. In the lust of your flesh, that is how you formerly lived. And you are no longer dead in your, uh, in your sins. So it's only those who are dead in their sins that can actually be living in the lust of their flesh. They can actually be living in the lust of their mortal bodies. This cannot be true of you. So that is why sin cannot be your Lord or your King. Now, you recognize again that these desires are not from your father but from the world. These desires, these lusts that are coming to you, they are not from your father, your heavenly father. They are from the world. Just like uh, when we are young, basically, there are some people, uh, when we're young, we obey our parents, they tell us which school to go to, and we have no other option but to follow them because we believe that their desires are actually for our own good. There are some people, obviously, that they pick careers, basically, because of their parents. Not that I'm saying that is good, basically, but they feel like this career is from their parents, and they believe that their parents want the best for them, wants the good for them. So, basically, we ourselves... We have to come to that recognition that our Heavenly Father wants the best for us. He wants is for our own good. So we recognize that these other desires, these uh, desires that are coming from this sin, that are coming from this second Lord, are not for our own good. So we have to recognize that it's not from our Father. They are coming from the world. They are coming from the flesh. So we only obey the desires of our Father. So sin, if you do that, sin can never ring in your life in your mortal bodies at all now another thing we need to notice that you do not allow this loss these desires to entice you or carry you away that is one thing we need to do don't allow all these loss do not allow these uh, desires that are coming to you carry you away if it carries you away you commit the sin basically make sure get to the level that these things can't even tempt you just like now yeah, 
I'm, I'm not someone who uh, smokes weed. If someone come and tell me and gives me weed, there's no way, there's no way in this life that thing can ever tempt me. It can never be a temptation to me because I cannot even do it. It's not, it's not something that I will even consider or think twice. Or if someone just uh, says, let's go for robbery, to go and rob a bank. These are things that I will not even think of. It's not even temptation to me. I won't feel anything if someone comes to come and tell me that. It's not like I will come and be battling with whether to do it or not. It's not a thought in my mind. Or someone tells you, put a gun in your hand, that you shoot this person. No matter the consequence, I'm not a killer. I've never killed before. There's no way killing can tempt me. Someone tell me, come and shoot this guy or shoot this person is your enemy. It cannot tempt me at all. It won't do anything to my body. So that is the same way. You get to that level where these things do not entice you. These things are no longer uh, temptations to you. If you are struggling with the love of money, get to a level to the extent that money will no longer be a temptation to you. Get to that level. There is actually a level that you will get to that these things will not be temptation at all for you. You will not struggle with them. If this, if somebody put money here, maybe put 500k, it will move you. You won't even be tempted to steal it at all. So just get to that level when all these things will happen. There are obviously some lust or some desires that can't be taken away. Just like the desires of sexual attraction. God gave it to us for a good purpose. These things were good, but because of our fallen nature, we always tend to make things that were good for bad. So God has created a way in which this sexual desire, this sexual attraction can be tamed. And that is in, in place of love, in the place of marriage. That is where these desires can be tamed and controlled. So you are, these desires do not automatically go. They, they are, if you are struggling with uh, sexual attraction with the opposite sex, these desires do not go away. But you have to tame them in the right place, which is in the marriage. Which is in the right place where God has died in love. So, another thing also that can help you for sin not to be the Lord, not to reign in your mortal body is this. That look at where sin leads to. Look at where the consequence of sin and his death. Sin doesn't have bring produce any good. Sin doesn't produce life. It always produces corruption. It always produces death. Just like you now, some people who uh, who uh, become drunkards or get addicted to alcohol over time, the thing affects their uh, system, their body systems. Or people who are uh, who are addicted to smoking, it affects their lung later on in life. Or sometimes can even lead to cancer. So basically, look at all these things. They don't lead to anything good. If you actually look at them. And they give you pleasure for the moment. And you regret them later. Obviously, they give you pleasure for the moment. You regret them later. There's no sin that actually... Unless you are... As a believer, there's no way you will sin. And it will give you pleasure forever. It's not possible. It will give you pleasure for the moment. And you regret them later. For example, let's look at a case of fornication. Just look at, imagine maybe you fornicate, you fornic uh, go into fornication, or you sleep with someone outside of marriage. You see where it leads to. It could lead to unwanted pregnancies, and when it leads to unwanted pregnancies, you see now you now have the you now have the the case of uh, either to keep the child or abort the child. So you see again, if you now choose again abortion, you see from one sin, fornication is leading to abortion, which is another sin again. 
you just see the way the consequence just keep on going one sin to another to another then leads to death or if you say the case of uh, you say you want to keep the child basically when you keep the child what now happens you now leave your maybe if you are schooling you leave your school to go and start looking for work on how to bring up that child or sometimes even if you keep the child or that can bring shame to your family and your parents might even disown you so you see the sin leads to a big regret or let's look at the example of uh, stealing if you steal money or you steal the meat from the pot in your house basically what happened when your parents come and ask who took this who took that it can lead to lying and you lie that is not me you see again stealing leads to lie or sometimes you say the truth when you say the truth you receive the punishment for the sin or if you rob or uh, or kill someone or kidnap you rob money from the bank if you are not caught you go and spend it and lavish it because money gotten by that, those fast means they always waste so you see again you just spend it lavishly or you rob and you are caught what happened you spend your life in prison or you you they you kill somebody for uh, murder somebody where does it end you up in prison or life imprisonment or you lose your life so you see again the consequences of sin doesn't lead anywhere good so when we recognize this as the truth then there's no way sin can be the lord can reign over our lives so the, this takes me to my next uh, point under the negative consequences is that you do not go on using your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin do not go on at all at all present continuous tense do not go on using your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin your members as weapons of unrighteousness to sin unrighteousness doesn't say as members of righteousness to sin members of unrighteousness to sin so we see again what are the members that is talking about your eyes your ears your mouth your mouth your hands and your legs let's look at um, colossians chapter 3 verse 5 see what it says it says therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality impurity passion evil desire and greed which amounts to idolatry so you see again it says consider the members consider your hand your leg your bodies to be dead to immorality to be dead to impurity to be dead to evil desire let it be dead to greed that is the way you you go on using your there you do not go on using your members as instrument of rationality to sin, you consider them dead to these passions, consider them dead to these evil desires, basically. That's what it's telling us. Because it now goes on to say that uh, this amounts to idolatry. So it goes on with what do you worship? Are you putting anything in your life above God? Are you putting anything in your life above God? If you put something in your life above God, then you are saying that is what is reigning in your life. That is what leads to sin. Sin is simply rebellion against God. I do not want God to reign in my life. So when you put all these evil desires above God in your life, it amounts to idolatry. So you are serving these passions. You are serving these 
evil desires rather than serving God. That's the way we have to look at this basically. And the text goes on to say, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. So this was, your, this was your former life. Why are you going back to your vomit? These are the same things that your father is angry with unbelievers for doing it. So why are you doing it? Your heavenly father is angry with the people in the world for doing it. Why are you doing it? Just like uh, uh, my early father will be angry when people insult him. Then me, myself, I start insulting him. Does it make sense? And he, he expect, uh, I will expect him to tolerate it. Unbelievers do not give the glory to him. And me, myself, do not give the glory to him. How would they, I expect him to tolerate him? It will even be worse. Because God, even God, our Heavenly Father, takes sin more seriously in un- with believers than unbelievers. And that is why most of the time we even see like betrayal pains. Because when someone that is closest to you does something bad to you, it pains you more than someone that is not even close to you. And that is the same thing. We are closer to our Heavenly Father than unbelievers are, can ever be. We have been reconciled to Him. And we are doing these things to Him. Basically. It's totally wrong. So God takes sin more seriously in us than even the unbelievers. Even our Lord Jesus Christ told us about the radical nature of taking uh, sin in our life. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right leg causes you to sin, cut it off. See, it's better to go into um, heaven. The kingdom of heaven with your uh, with one eye than to go with your full body to hell. That is basic thing. Look at it. Take sin seriously. Look at the eternal consequences of it. Where it's going to lead you to. So when you look at the eternal consequences of it, then you say, No, I can't go on using my members as instrument of righteousness to sin. And as we said, once you go on doing these things, it goes on continuously. One sin leads to another, basically. So you, what you do is basically you guard what you see, you guard what you hear, you guard what you use your hands to do, where your legs go. What are you seeing? What, what are you using your eyes to see? Control it. Control where you, you look at, what you look at. Control it. If you are the one that is being tempted by money, basically, control the way you look at money. Control where how your eyes see money. If you are tempted by loss, control what you see. If you are the type who, uh, what you hear, what you hear affects you, control what you are hearing. Maybe the kind of music that you are listening to, it raises some kind of desires within you. Control it. If there is some kind of movies that you are watching, it raises some evil desires within you. Control it. Don't watch those kind of movies. Don't hear those kind of songs or don't listen to such kind of people where do you, what do you use your hands to do control it where do your legs go sometimes maybe you might go to uh, places that you are going to they are going to uh, they are going to entice you to see maybe the kind of uh, company that you keep say bad company corrupts good morals so where where who are your friends 
are these friends that you go to meet are they people who entice this kind of desires within you so you stop going to these places basically so you say guard them and this this all starts from the mind from the from the mind to the outward parts once you actually can control this from your heart then it goes on to the outward that's why it starts with do not let sin rain first in your motor bodies if you do not allow it to rain in your motor body, then it will go on to the outward, to your members. It will even rain. You won't be able to yield them, your members, to, as an instrument of righteousness to God. So you deal with it at the heart level, basically. That is one thing we must understand. So I just want to deal with something, basically, for people who are struggling with sexual loss, basically. If you are maybe a lady or a guy, if you see a lady or a guy basically that dress in a sensual way look away if you see all these uh, immodest uh, dressings or stuffs pop up on your timeline on your social media look away just look away sharply very fast the, the, like someone said they took over an eye or even a second look away from these things that's the way you defeat them basically so you ask yourself, what is what is your motive? What is your motive for looking at the person? What is your motive for looking at the person? Even Job said concerning the in Job 31, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. So why would I gaze on a virgin? So make have you made a covenant with your eyes? Look at control what you are looking at. So once you control what you are looking at, there's no way you can gaze on this stuff. There's no way you can gaze on sexual posts. There's no way you can gaze on nude pictures of people who dress immodestly on social media so that they will entice this lust within you. So you control it. You make a covenant with your eyes. I'm not going to look at this. Someone said if a girl dressed in the sensuality and come to a meeting where people are, say if there's a man of God there, he will just close his eyes basically. So we control the way we look at all these things. Look away. And you ask yourself basically, what is your motive for looking at the person? Am I looking at the person basically to actually commit, commit adultery in my heart? To have lust over the person? Or actually I'm looking at the person to actually see the appearance and see the beauty of God in this person. So see the image of God and appreciate God for the beauty that he has created. Ask yourself, what is your motive for looking at this person? And once you deal with it from the motive, you just see that everything works out well. Like me, myself, personally, I struggled with all these things. I struggled with, uh, I struggled with pornography, basically. There was a time I struggled with it. But I saw victory over these things in Christ Jesus. I got victory over this in my addition to pornography. And because of that addition to pornography, that is what led me inevitably to start struggling with sexual lust. Over time, I struggled with it. For a long time, even when I became a believer, I was struggling with sexual lust. And I just kept on praying to God for victory over it. And over time, I've been enjoying victory over sexual lust. I've long defeated pornography a long time. My addition to pornography, I'm no longer addicted to it. Struggling. God has given me victory over sexual lust. And these are the tips that God just gave me. Say, look at yourself from the word of God, basically. This is what Jesus said in Matthew uh 
five. That's why I just got the whole concept. It says, um, Matthew 5, verse 28. It says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, so it starts with look at a woman. So what is your motive? It says with lust. So the motive of this person is he has looked at her with the motive of lusting after her. So once he looked at her with the motive of lusting after her, he has already committed adultery in his heart. It doesn't say when he now takes the look or when he now like actually do a uh, uh, lust over her. That's when he has committed the adultery. He says he has already committed adultery with her. Past tense with her. In his heart, so we have to deal with it from the motive. Once we can get the motives right, then there's no way we even commit adultery in the heart. So you look at what is my motive for looking at all these things, and when you deal with the motive, basically, you have victory. That's what the Lord just showed me from this passage, basically, when he was talking about adultery or sexual loss. So you deal with that from the heart. Look at why am I seeing this lady that is passing by, or why am I looking at this guy? Is it with the intention of lusting after the person? Because there's there's the obviously there's ways that someone will actually dress that. There's no other purpose that you actually be looking at the person without the intention of lust. So that is the basic reason of actually looking away in all those kind of circumstances. There's no other good purpose that you will ever see but the purpose of lust. So that is the thing we have to ask ourselves from our heart. We deal with this from the heart and it works out outwardly to our eyes and we are able to guard what we see. So basically, if you, are, if you are having any struggles with sin in your life, just ask the Lord, show me ways from your word that I can defeat these struggles. Pray to him. Pray to the Father. The Holy Spirit is there to help us to have, see victory over our sins. So when you ask the Lord, you will open your eyes and you will see different ways that can relate to yourself to see victory over this sin. Because it's not leading to anywhere good. Where are you going to? Who are you around? That is the basic thing that affects us. Just like some of us basically then, if you are going to watch football, sometimes it might lead you to arguments. Oh, and all those kind of arguments sometimes you might not know your fault, right? And it will lead you to sin. So why don't you just limit your time that you spend with all those uh, places where you gather to watch match with a lot of crowd, where it will actually lead you to sin. Limit them a bit. If you are going to friends that you visit, and most of the time, all you will always do is gossip. Limit your your time around such friends because it's going to cause you to sin against your heavenly Father. So. That is where you see practical steps of guarding it. And someone, I hide God's words in your heart, basically. Hide God's words. He says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. I was listening to a minister. He said that there are sometimes he would just get into a temptation. And every time, as he just gets into a temptation, all these scriptures will just pop up in his head, basically. And when the scriptures just pop up, there's no, it, it's too more aligned to sin because he knows all the consequences that comes up with those sin. So the thing just pops up in his head all over. And that's the basic thing. Once you go on meditating on God's word, 
Go on meditating on these laws. Go on understanding his words, reading it over and over again. You see that you have victory over your sin. You see that you don't go using your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now, we'll go on to the positive consequences. And the first positive consequence is that you go on yielding yourselves to God as one alive from the dead. You go on yielding yourselves to God as one alive from the dead. And how do you go on yielding yourselves to God as one alive from the dead? You see some steps in the word of God. Present yourself to God. That is what we see in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he says here, you see here, he says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. You have presented your heart to God. You have given your life to God. You have surrendered totally to Him. Now He wants your body as a spiritual service of worship. In the Old Testament days, you present dead uh, dead animals to God as a sacrifice. You just present those, uh, kill, lamb, kill different animals and bring to God as a sacrifice. And you come. But in this modern day, we don't bring animals to churches as our sacrifice. If not, the blood will just be all over the old pulpit and everything. God is not desiring what? Living sacrifices. Living bodies. He doesn't desire dead bodies. He's not desiring living bodies. So you present yourself as a living and holy sacrifice. You are one who is consecrated. You are one who is dedicated to the Lord. So you see yourself as someone who is dedicated to God acceptable to god which is a spiritual service of worship just like the way in the old testament we used to have the nazarites who live dedicated and consecrated life so you see yourself as a nazarite basically you are dedicated to god so your body is for his purpose your body is the temple of the lord so you see your body basically for the purpose of god as a vessel to be used by god now another thing we also do it that can help us not to go to go on yielding ourselves as one alive from the dead is let the love of Christ control you. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse fourteen to fifteen, and it says, "For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for, therefore all died, and he died for us, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf." So Christ died for you. He died for you. For your sins. If he died for you, then no long, you can no longer live for yourself. You live for who died for you. That's the basic thing that we do. Just like, um, let me just give a simple illustration. Um, maybe you... Uh, Let's say, for example, you are a rich person and someone was about to shoot you. There was a target on your life. Someone was about to shoot you. And another person comes and he actually sees the person that is about to shoot you and just run 
puts himself in front of the bullet and takes the bullet in place of you. Won't you do everything necessary to take care of that? Let me say he's your bodyguard and he comes and actually takes the bullet for you. Won't you do everything necessary within your power to take care of that person's family? And do everything that will be pleasing to the person. It will seem like as if you even replace the person totally in his family's life. So you do the desire of the person. You take care of the, the person that desired for his children to go to good schools. You take care of their education. You, maybe if you can even give them jobs or get open business for them, you get to that level. Because you have the money. So the same thing, Christ died for your sins. So you don't live for your desires anymore. You live for his desires. That's why it says, the love of Christ controls us. If you actually love Christ, you actually love the one who died for you. It says we love because he first loved us. If you actually love the one who died for you, then you are no longer going to live for yourself, but you are going to live for him who died and rose again on your behalf. It is what he did for you. So you are going to do this for him. Just to live for his desires. This is the natural way of even seeing things. So if we are to go on yielding ourselves to God as one alive from the dead because we are resurrected, let the love of Christ control you. And in this same passage, we see that if anyone being in Christ is a new creation, whole things are passed away. New, new things have come. And who are these new things from? These new desires have come from your father. So you see in yourself old desires. You see in yourself new desires. The old things have passed away. These new desires have come. So let these new desires control you. Your father has put in new desires there. Just accept them. Take in these good desires and let them control you. These new desires that have been put in you as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Let it control you. That is the way we are to do. Say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you to do and to please according to his good pleasure. Come in. Let me get this verse well. So he says, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much in my absence, walk at your salvation with fear and tremble. For it is God who is at work in you, but to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will and to work for his good pleasure. Work it out what God has worked into you. He has put in these new desires within you. Work it out. Obey these desires. And that is that we look at the cross. This enables us to yield ourselves to God. First Peter 2 verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24. And it says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. His wounds for us have healed us from our sins. So when we look at the cross, the, our sins that he bore on the cross. He died. He did that so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. God didn't, uh, Christ didn't die on the cross for you to 
uh, die to righteousness or to live in sin. No. He died for you so that you, you will die to sin and live to righteousness. That is where your life is to live to. If Christ is your Lord, you are to live to righteousness. And that is the way we are to see it in our life. He says the only one must come after me, must carry the their cross and deny themselves so deny all those evil desires within you and deny yourself all those evil passions within you and follow Christ fully so when you see what he did for you on the cross that this is the purpose that he died that I will die to sin and live to righteousness so then inevitably you go on eating yourselves as one alive from the dead to God the second point of the positive consequence is this Go on yielding yourself as instrument of righteousness to God. And we see again, holiness is not only negative but positive. We saw in the first part, it says, Do not go on yielding your members as instruments of righteousness to God. But now it now says, Go on yielding your members as instruments of righteousness to God rather than instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Now, instruments of righteousness to God. That one, sin is the master. This one, to God. That is where your members are to yield to. And we see some practical steps in Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 25. It says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth one of you with his neighbor. If you are one who is to speak lies before with your mouth, they used to use your mouth to lies. Now, this is where you are going to be focusing on. Start using your mouth to start speaking the truth to one another. If you are one who used to be angry, and let the sun go on your anger or become bitter, now, be angry, but do not sin. Have a righteous anger. Because it puts your anger into the right things. Into the, into God, the things of God. Not putting your anger into uh, bad things that will lead into uh, bitterness inevitably. It says again, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his hands what is good. If you used to use your hands to steal money, if you used to use your hands to steal food, uh, meat from the pot, he said, no, don't do that anymore. Rather, what you should be doing is that those ants use it to work, use it to labor, and have money. And rather than doing stealing and lavishing on yourself, you rather now get money and use it to what? Give to others. So you see again, this righteousness, yielding your members to righteousness, leads to more righteousness. When you yield your members to sin, it leads to more sin. Yielding your members to righteousness leads to more righteousness. You see, you work for your money as against stealing that would have led to you ending up in prison or led to you lying. Now you work for your money. Now you are able to do another righteous deed, which is giving, being generous. So you see, righteousness leads to another righteousness. It says again that let no one know some word proceed out of your mouth, but only a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So, if you are the one that used to, uh, vulgar word used to come out from your mouth, 
Let only word that is good for edification come out from your mouth now. What is the word that you can give to someone that will build them up for the moment? What is the word of encouragement that you can give to people for that moment? That is what you should be speaking. No longer all these words of discouragement that will just bring people down. That's what you should use your mouth to do. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. If you are the type, basically, that used to listen to music that creates some sensual desires within you, start listening to good music. Start listening to music with good or righteous lyrics. Not necessarily that you must listen to God, uh, gospel music. Though that is good. Listen to gospel music. Listen to songs that adore God, that help you to worship God. Listen, if you are the, the type that you spend your time listening to unnecessary bad things, listen, start listening to sermons, good sermons, good teachings of the word. If you are the type that is to watch movies that create sensual desires within you or watch pornography, start spending the time on watching good things. Maybe watch things that will defy you. Maybe watch uh, things that can teach you some skills in life. Or start using that time that to watch maybe good sermons again. Watch some good Christian movies too. Spend those time. Just change those desires. What used to what is the time you used to use for this one? Start using to do something righteous. Just tell the Lord, Lord, use me as your vessel. Whatever the Lord wants to use it for, let him use it for. Even your gifts, use them for the Lord. If you are the type that used to use your gifts, maybe you had a singing gift, and you used to use it to sing uh, music, uh, songs that are sensual, that glorify sex, that glorify the devil, or Satan, or idolatry. Start using your songs to glorify God. Use it to have good lyrics that will produce righteousness in people, good desires in people. If you are the type maybe that have the gift of heart and you used to use your your gift of drawing to draw nude pictures or sensual pictures, start using it to draw things that will glorify God. If you are the type that is easy going, that used to use your uh, gift basically to uh, try to put one person against another and they will just believe you sharp sharp, why don't you turn that gift that you have and start using it for evangelism? So just tell all those ne- gifts that you have been using for negative purposes to righteous purposes. Now, the last uh, section we'll go to is that how are these consequences possible? How are these consequences possible? And that is the thing is that you are not you are not being under law but being under grace. So sin will not rule over you. So, first of all, you have to recognize that you are not under law, but you are under grace. Most of us, we tend to relate with God on the basis of the law. We tend to be under both, both under law and under grace. But that is not actually possible for you to be under law and under grace. But we tend to actually relate to God on that basis. 
and law and grace are mutually exclusive. And because of we tend to relate to God on the basis of the law, that is why we don't see virtues virtue over our sins. And Paul is saying, recognize that you are not present continuous tense, being under law. Like me, basically, there was a time that I used to be brought up under the Ten Commandments. And they would tell us, I used to struggle with stealing too then. They would tell us, don't steal. To be sincere, I won't want to steal. But I'll just find out that this desire will just come totally. And I'll just submit totally to it. I'll just see this stuff and steal it. I'll see maybe good food and still steal it. The desire just come. And the Ten Commandments, I thought maybe it would make me stop. But it's not. It should just come and just rise up these desires within me. Because through the law came the knowledge of sin. It will just rise up these desires within me. And I will just go on stealing. And that is the thing, basically, people who go to legalistic churches, look at their life and look at their li- the difference between them and spirit-led people. People who go to legalistic churches, they are always under bondage. You tell them, do this, uh, you have to clean the uh, share in the church for it to be pleasing to God. You have to join a service unit. If you are not joining us, then you can never be pleasing to God. You just create a kind of many, many laws and say, these are you. This is how you can get on the right path with God. So you see, these people are suffering under bondage. They are not seeing victory over sins in their life. They, maybe they, are, if, uh, they get to some church, maybe they tell them, don't watch TV. <laughs> or just like, the, uh, for the example, the Pharisees in our Lord's Day. They created, they made Sabbath that God has made for the rest of man. For man to rest. They made it like a body. And started making mechanical rules. Don't fix so, so, so and so. Don't, maybe don't pick a pin. That that is work. If you walk this so, so and so step, that is work. You know, something that was made for the rest of man has now become a body. And when you do it in such mechanical ways, then everything obviously becomes a chaos. And it becomes inevitable that people won't actually want to disobey these laws that people make. That men try to make. That is the thing basically about legalism. It's totally bad. Legalism says we will not give you freedom to sin. License says we give you freedom to sin. And liberty says freedom not to sin. And you see basically many people who come from this legalism extremes, they tend to go into this extreme of license again. And that is the same way we humans are. We go from one extreme to another extreme. And that is what we are seeing in this hypergrace uh, teachings movement or the finished work movement. They go from one, people who come from this legalistic background, they go to another extreme teaching of grace entirely, which is no longer the true teaching of grace in scriptures. Jude talks about this kind of grace and he says in his letter, he says, For certain persons, have crept in on notice those who were long before and marked out for condemnation ungodly persons who turned the grace of our god into licentiousness they turned the grace of our lord of our god into licentiousness they make it like a permission for you to live the lifestyle that you want and still be a christian and we have christians who are saying no what is the bare minimum i can do and still be a christian because they are still related to god on the basis of the law 
So that's why they're asking this kind of questions. They are still bondage. Say, what's the, can I do this? Can I commit this sin and still be a Christian? What kind of question is that? Because we're no longer people who are living under grace. We're behaving like people who are living under the law. And this thing is basically the law arouses sinful passions. Romans 7. Verse 4 to 6. He said, Therefore, my brethren, you, are, you were also made to die to the Lord through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now, having been freed from the law, being released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of later. Why did Christ make you release you from the law? So that you bear fruit to God. Because when you were when you are under the law, these sinful passions are aroused by the law, and it works in the members of your body to bear fruit to death. That is the fruit that it brings. But when you are recognized that you are actually under the reign of grace, you actually put yourself being under the reign of grace, you bear fruit to God. No longer fruit to death. And this is the basic reason with all of us. Most of the time when someone tells us, do not, we always want to do it. For example now, someone that is addicted to smoking now. It, will, it might not be smoking at the moment, that moment. But sometimes it will just go to some place and they write, do not smoking. Do not smoke. And that temptation will just come to him that let him drop by cigarette and actually want to smoke in that place. That is the way the law just does. The law just arouses the sinful passion within us. That was not that wasn't even triggered by anything. But as you just see the law, the thing is just triggered. And we have to recognize who is our master, that you are being under grace. What does that mean? It's, you have to understand that you are under Christ. And grace and truth came through Christ. So if Christ is your Lord, if God is your master, grace and truth came through Christ. And we, uh, John in his gospel said, we have received grace upon grace. There's an abundance of grace that we have received. Romans 5 verse 17 says, For if by transgression of one, death reigns through one, the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So he says you have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So when grace is reigning in your life, you see righteousness reigning in your life. No longer sin, no longer sinful passions reigning in your life. But righteousness actually reigning in your life. That is the gift that comes with reigning under grace. So grace gives us that victory over sin in our life. Grace gives us victory over sin in our life. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that has come mightily to us. Help us to actually recognize, O Lord, that we are no longer under the law, but under grace. And because we are under grace, O Lord, righteousness will reign in our life. You have given us victory over sin. 
We no longer battle with sin, but we enjoy victory over sin. We are people, O oh Lord, who will serve in the newness of the Spirit. Who are going to be Spirit-led people. And the Spirit is going to work what Christ did for us on the cross and effect it to our life, O oh Lord. Father, O oh Lord, if there is any of us, O oh Lord, who are struggling with sins or particular loss in our life, O oh Lord, show us ways, O oh Lord, in which we can defeat this loss, in which we can no longer be enticed or carried away by them. Heavenly Father, we ask, O oh Lord, in your mercy, May we bear fruit unto you, no longer fruit to death. May we be made alive unto you. May we consider ourselves, O Lord, members of our body, dead to sin and alive to you. Father, we present ourselves, O Lord. We yield ourselves, O Lord, to you. We yield our own members of our body to you, O Lord. Let us obey your will. Let us use it, O Lord, for your own purpose, O Lord. To you alone be all the glory. And we ask God this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.